this question and get a, a frank response back. Do you think the church is relevant? And I'm, when I say that, I don't mean any particular church. But I just mean, you know, sort of the big picture, the church. And oftentimes, more often than not, when people answer, I ask this question, they answer it, they'll go, no. Because they can't see it has any relevance to their life. And more importantly, they look around and they go, I don't think it has anything to do with this world that I live in. And I think, I answer, I always, you know, if we, if we go back and forth, I try to, to persuade them to recognize something that the church has that, that no other community has. And that's answers for questions, all the big questions that people are asking, and not just answers that are sort of, you know, a lot of words, but something that's substantial that can actually change their lives. And Jesus said, and we're going we're gonna to start a series, uh, we're, we're calling it The Church That Jesus Is Building. And if you read in the book of Matthew, when Jesus was talking to Peter once, he, he, was, he committed Peter for his faith, and then, and then he said, and it's, it's an idea that a lot of people have picked up on, Jesus said he was going to be the one that built the church, that we weren't the ones that built the church, that, that we are the church. We don't build ourselves, that Jesus is actually this architect and builder. He's the one that's doing something, and he's building something that he says was, was going to transform the world. That would be, in another way of saying it, it would be, it would be phenomenally relevant. And what I want to show you, one of the, I think, big questions that people ask that I want, I think, us, each of us, and us collectively to get a hold of is, if you ever feel like the, the difference you make in the world is seen in a bucket of water, when you put your hand in the bucket of water and you pull your hand back out, the hole that's left is the difference that you're making in the world. You may feel like that, like, wow, that's me. You know, there's, there's little ripples. I know I was there but I don't see much of an impact. I think the reason why that's true is that the church largely has not volunteered to participate in God's mission. That we're kind of about our stuff, and our stuff isn't bad stuff necessarily, but I don't think many times we even realize how disconnected we are from God's mission. And so I want to show you where Jesus... A, a story, it's a pretty familiar story, where Jesus himself was engaged in God's mission, and then he challenged his followers who weren't joining him in the mission that God sent him on. Because he was, you'll see that he says to them, like, what? You're not, you know, how, how are you not involved in this thing that I'm doing? You're following me around. Don't you get this? But the truth is, there's a huge disconnect between the average believer and God's mission. And the church that Jesus is building, wherever it is, one of the things, maybe the most central thing to that community is it will be on God's mission. So what is God's mission? I want you to see in this story we're going to read, it's a really clear picture of what God's mission is in the world, but it also shows us why we aren't a part of it. 
or why many of us choose not to be a part of it. So uh, in, in John chapter 4, if you have a Bible with you, uh, open it to John chapter 4. It's, it's a pretty f- familiar story. And I'm going to start reading this story, and just as we go through it, the first part of it shows Jesus having this conversation with this woman who has a big question. It's a big question in life that, that most of the people around you are asking, even if they're not verbalizing it. Jesus engaged this woman, and as he talked with her, he, his conversation surfaced this question in her life. And he took her through a little dialogue. He helped her get in touch with the fact she was actually asking this question. She was looking for something, and she wasn't getting answers anywhere. And then, as you'll see, Jesus goes, okay, that's not working, that's not working. Let me suggest this. And he kind of points to himself. This is what you're looking for, me. And you're going to see how God's mission is all about that. Then you're going to see how his disciples, because of some things that were going on in their lives and in the world they lived in, and internally and externally, they didn't in any way participate in what Jesus was doing. And they had really good excuses, and Jesus just said, those don't hold water, and, I'm, I'm, and he challenged them. So let's look at this. Let's start in uh, John chapter 4. It says in verse 4, Jesus had to go through Samaria. And he came to a town, that was like north of Israel. He came to a town called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour, about you know, nine in the morning, and it's, it's warm, it's, it's warming up, or I'm sorry, it's noon. Uh, when a Samaritan came to him, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. So Jesus is traveling, comes to this well, the well is still there, by the way, it's about 60 or 70 feet deep, and you know, it's, it's been there for, for centuries, actually millennia. It's that old. Jesus is tired, he's hungry, and he's thirsty. And he's in a community that isn't, as you'll see, that isn't real warm towards Jewish people. He's kind of an outsider there. But that community that he's going through is surrounded by the Jewish world, and so they're kind of outsiders they're a little island of outsiders in the middle of the Jewish world. And most Jews, when they'd come up to that little island, as they were walking along and traveling, and the road would go through Samaria, they would take a road around it and not go through it. Because the, the, the Jews and the Samaritans were the Hatfields and the McCoys. They didn't get along. They had ancient, ancient animosity. So when Jesus says to the woman who's coming to draw water around noon would you give me some water? The woman says, you're a Jew, and this is verse 9, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews, John gives us the historical context. Jews don't associate with Samaritans, meaning they don't eat with them, they don't talk with them, they don't get near them. Now just imagine that. Imagine you lived in some place, some neighborhood, 
And, you know, people ride their bikes up and down the neighborhood. They walk up and down the sidewalks. They walk down the street. And imagine you saw a, 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 a family of people, you know, like a mom and a dad pushing a, a baby carriage. And their kids are in their little, you know, tricycles and big wheels. And so it's, it's, it's four or five kids in the family. And they're all buzzing around the mom and dad. And they're walking down the sidewalk. And somebody else is walking the other direction, turns the sidewalk. And they see him and they go, and they cross the street. They look at him and they scowl. Go across the street and walk down the other street. I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen anything like that happen. It's not common, is it? Now, people think that inside. And sometimes they make faces towards one another. But this was such an awkward situation that the people talked about it. You know, when Jesus said... Would you give me some water? Maybe this woman had never had a Jew speak to her before. I mean, just imagine that, if, 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 what that would feel like if that was you. And as you'll see later in the story, that's how Jesus' disciples treated these people. They didn't talk to any of them. They had to talk to them to get some food, but that was it. They had this attitude, you know, you guys are lowlifes. And there's a whole story, there's a whole backstory to it. And the Samaritans were kind of a quirky crew. But Jesus started breaking the ice with this woman. She's surprised, whoa. Which is, you know, that's, you got to notice that, okay? Second, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And she goes, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well's deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well? Excuse me, are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Now, if you can't pick up on this, she's getting a little sassy. All right? She's got, she's got a little nerve, you know. You've got to kind of like her. That, uh, we know something about this story. When, when women would go to draw water, they almost always did it in the morning or in the evening. And all the women would go. Because it was, you don't go out in the heat of the day and, and carry water unless you want to just sweat through your clothes completely. She was, most likely, as, as her story unfolds, she's sort of ostracized from her community. Not only... Are the Samaritans ostracized from all the people around them? But this woman, because of her lifestyle, which we'll learn more about here, she's kind of an outsider within her own outsider community. And so Jesus doesn't talk, I mean, Jews don't talk to her. Her own people, she's kind of embarrassed to be around them. So she goes there by herself. How do you think, just imagine this woman, sort of where her head's at. And, you know, sometimes it helps you to, to, to grasp a passage by thinking about yourself in that. How would that feel? If people, no one wanted to talk to you. People ignored you. In fact, you knew they didn't want to talk to you, so you ignored them. And you organized your life around avoiding. So you didn't want to get embarrassed, so you preemptively avoided people so you wouldn't have to have that feeling. But what does that do? That just reinforces that. Because we're not made to avoid. We're not made to be alone. So her whole life is, is not 
you know, ideal, is it, in any sense of the word? And so when Jesus talks to her, she kind of says, you know, maybe, maybe there's a, a, a ten of resentment from who knows where, all kinds of places. And she just says, oh, now, you're, now you'll talk to me when you want a little water, right? Because the reason why Jesus asked her for water was that kind of a well, you brought your own jar to tie and drop down into, there'd be, there'd be a rope there to drop down into the water or you brought your own rope. So people who weren't from there had to wait for someone to come to draw the water. So Jesus is thirsty. He needs her to help him. He, and the, the conversation just starts with him being thirsty. She shows up. He asks her. But real quickly, you can tell Jesus sees her and sizes her up. And it, and it seems like something's going on. Something's sort of going on behind the scenes that Jesus picks up on. And again, this is about the mission of God is, if we're on a mission with God, we learn to start picking up on the kind of cues that Jesus picked up on. And so Jesus is standing there, and this woman, he said, yeah, she's, I think I can just hear Jesus thinking, wow, she's got a little attitude. <laughs> you know, I understand. I understand how my people have treated her people. And when he asked her, you have to understand, he's a rabbi, he's a Jew, he's a man. Those are three big barriers. It, for him to talk to a woman like her would make him defiled. To, he would owe her something. He would be obligated to her because she served him. I mean, he was breaking so many taboos to have this conversation. We don't get it right now. You know, we don't get it. I try to have boundaries, uh, you know, as a pastor with, with women. And so I don't, you know, go and meet women by myself in, in places, dark nighttime places, right? <laughs> Unless they're named Kathy Lieb. Then I've been known to frequent dark nighttime places with that person. Because, not because I, I, I have enough integrity, I'm not going to get in trouble, but People look at me and say, wow, I saw John and this woman, you know, uh, at Rusty Bucket, uh, closing time. <laughs> and she'd have a ring on, and she didn't look anything like Kathy. And, you know, and everyone starts, you know, all of a sudden, the email's going. <laughs> and then pretty soon, no one trusts me, because they think, I say one thing and do something else. So Jesus was facing that when he started talking to her. He was risking a lot. But she's sassing him. And then... He says, he, he tells her, I got something you don't have. And of course, that always warms people up, right? <laughs> She's already kind of uptight. And Jesus just throws, a, let me just throw a little, a little gas on that fire. Boom. And she goes, well, are you better than our father Jacob? And you know, Jacob is revered by everybody. So she's like putting him down. Who do you think you are? Now, do you ever get that from people about your faith? Yeah, who do you think you are? Kind of, yeah, I'm not anybody. But Jesus didn't have to say that. He was somebody, right? I'm not better than you. When people do that to me, I just go, you think I'm better than you? If I'm sending you that signal, I apologize. I'm not. In fact, you probably are better than me in a lot of ways. But I do have something you don't have. And that's what Jesus was saying. He had, he had the goods, so to speak, right? So, she goes, uh, I don't get it. Now, he's starting to surface need in her heart, okay? He's starting to help her get in touch with something. 
He knows she's coming at an unusual time to draw water. So there's a story he knows about. And, you know, he's also like we can be. He's being led by the Holy Spirit. And sometimes when you're led by the Holy Spirit, you you can pick up insight from God about people that you don't know about. Or you can just pick up things that you might not ordinarily notice. Either way, Jesus starts engaging her at a deeper level. And he just lets those things bounce off of him. He doesn't, he doesn't bite on the bait. She wants to pick a fight. He just doesn't want to go there. He cares about her. So he's not going to get caught in that back and forth. So Jesus said, after she said, are you better? Where do you get this living water? He said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. And she knew that. But this well is going to go from a physical thing where she goes and gets water, and it's going to, it's, it's going to be, become something that means something about her life. It's going to go from an object, physical object, to a metaphor as Jesus talks to her. And he's going to tell her something, and he's going to get her in touch with something in her life. So, He says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So she's going, this is good. Wow, this sounds cool. Now, he's in their language when she first is mistaking him because a a way of saying a spring is close to what Jesus is saying. So there's well water, and then there's spring water. Okay, and if you've ever seen a spring, a spring bubbles up from the ground. A well just sits in, the the water's in the ground, you have to draw it out. And everybody prefers a spring, because it just keeps producing. You know, a well can go dry. And a well can get so deep, it's hard to get the water out of. When the water comes to you, it's much better, right? Y'all get that. So she's not quite getting it. So Jesus, you know, and, and you wonder at this point, is she not quite getting it or is she playing dumb? It's hard to tell. Is she starting to get that Jesus is, is doing something here? That he's kind of pressing into her and, and, and what's going on inside her? Because it started talking about water. But pretty soon, you know, there's, there's another level of engagement. And you don't know, is she, at this point, is she getting it? She goes, I want water. But is she saying, I want what you're talking about, Jesus? Or is she talking about spring water. You're not quite sure. So Jesus, Jesus takes it a little further. And at this point, he's offering to give her something. And this is the way God is. God isn't just concerned about her. He's concerned about everyone who's related to her. But he's also concerned about getting this woman to be honest. And so he says to her, uh, go call your husband and come back. You know, I think at this moment you'd hear this gulp. If we could put a microphone in the woman's face, you'd hear a gulp. Because she says, I don't have a husband. He says, you're right. When you say you have no husband, the fact is you've had five husbands. Which was scandalous. It's scandalous now. It's getting to the point where it's not that scandalous. But, you know, (laughs) four or five. It's like back in the day when I was growing up. How many people you slept with? And someone would say one or two people go, wow, five or six, wow, you know, eight or ten. Now, you say eight or people say eight or ten, wow, that's not, 
That's pretty good, you know. How many of you slept with? Well, like 40. You know, it's sad that we're at that point. Back then, that was a big deal. Five husbands? I mean, she wasn't even like in Hollywood. She, She didn't have money. You know, when you have money, you can just do whatever you want, right? You, you, you just, I just need to get a new wife. I just throw her some money and I'll find a younger version. And people who have power and things do. They just break laws and break, you know, uh, things that are important because they don't need, they think. Well, she wasn't like that. She was at the lower rung of the social ladder. She had five husbands and, and she was living with a guy that she wasn't married to. So she says... I'm busted. I see you're a prophet. And then she, at this point, she shifts and she says, and she gets into a religious dispute with him. I don't want to read the whole thing. She just talks about something about, you guys believe this, but we believe this. And, but then she goes, but, you know, we still don't have it figured out, and we're kind of waiting for this person called the Messiah. So now at this point, here's where Jesus has got her to. She has to come and get water out of that well. Jesus uses that as an opportunity to get her to look at her life, to see the way she's living, that this is a picture of what's going on inside her. She's going to something over and over and over, and it isn't satisfying her. She's been married multiple times. And marriage was really important. You know, for a woman to not be married was, unless she was a, per, a person of means from her family, she was very vulnerable. You were, you know, you were looked down on, in fact, if you weren't married and you didn't have kids. And, and you, a lot of women who weren't married became prostitutes. Or, or they were slaves. Or they were sort of people who were just on the fringe of the world trying to make it. And so this woman was just trying to make it. But she had this religion she was proud of, but it didn't really work either. She said, yeah, you know, you guys say this, we say this, and, but, you know, we think you're wrong, but to be honest with you, we don't have it figured out either. It's not really working for us, is what she was saying. This is the thing, this is where the question that people have. She was living through this humiliating experience of having to marry person after person after person to survive. And it was like, in her mind, she's thinking, okay, maybe the next guy won't treat me like this. Maybe he will respect me and love me, and this will be something that that works the way it's supposed to, and it didn't. And another one, and another one, another one. And this one, who knows whether he didn't want to marry her, or she didn't want to marry him, but she needed what he had so much, she was willing to put up with it. And the Samaritans were actually a pretty morally upright people. They were like the Jews in that sense, that marriage was important, and, you know, it was frowned on to do what she was doing, which was why she was probably on the fringe. Now, this is where a lot of people are at. How many people do you know go, if I just get married, then my life will be happy. If I just have kids, if I just get a better job. I'm just going to keep climbing the ladder at work. And the next rung is the rung where I'm going to hit it, and then bam, I'm there. Like this emptiness inside will be satisfied, because if I get that job, I get these perks with it. I get 
people will see me in this light that they don't see me now. And there's this hole, this emptiness that gets filled with things. Or I'm saving up so I can have this vacation. Like, like what I do is I work and, and slave and come home and I'm tired so I can go out and party on, on weekends. And then I can save enough money to go on vacation. And I can do it all again the next year. There's that hole. And if I just keep doing that and keep doing that, it'll satisfy me. Because I know people that can't do that, and I feel bad for them. But everybody gets to where this woman is at at some point. God works at it so that you can't run from the truth that those things will not satisfy you. Is it bad to get a promotion? No. Is it bad to get married? No. Is it bad to have money? No. Is it bad to, to get a graduate degree? No. But I know people, I've had friends who've had multiple degrees who've told me at some point they realized, what am I doing all these degrees for? And they got honest and said, different ones have told me this, I want my dad to respect me. And if I get another degree, maybe my dad will respect me. Or if I get another degree, maybe I'll get professional respect, and that's what I need. And then they get it, and it doesn't give them what they want. Because they're pleasing people that you can never please, ultimately. And does a degree really define you and give you a sense of identity that, uh, to the degree that it matters? On your grave, they don't go, he had a PhD. Everyone just step back and go, ooh. Or he lived in this zip code. Or he lived in this building. You know, if you're in New York, he lived on the Upper West Side. He went to, he graduated from an Ivy League school. Does that matter? Now, I don't mean that there isn't value in that in a certain sense. Certain educations are better than other educations. But innately, does that fill that void? No. And it didn't for this woman. And so Jesus had this. And then you come to this point where she says, I know when the Messiah comes, he's going to tell us everything. And, and this is the, you know, I won't do it, but this is like the microphone drop moment. Jesus goes, I'm the one that speaks to you. I'm, the, I'm that person. And at that moment, it says the disciples came back with, with the lunch, and they looked at Jesus, if you, if you look, I'll paraphrase it in verse 27, and they said, why, he's talking to that woman. Why is he talking to her? But they didn't want to ask him. They were kind of embarrassed. Why would he be talking to that woman? Just the same. They had the same questions that she had. You, get, you see that? They were bound by this same thing that Jesus didn't let himself be bound by. Because when you embrace God's mission, those kinds of things don't matter anymore. It's not that they, they don't matter at all but they don't matter when, when the mission is engaged. And so, they, uh, it says, after they thought to themselves, why is he talking with her? The woman leaves her water jar. She goes back to town and says to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. So, Jesus, when he's talking about religion with them, he says this to her. He says, the Father is seeking worshipers. 
who will worship him in spirit and truth. And that's not what you guys are doing. That's not even what the Jews are doing. And, and she goes, she kind of, there's something in that that resonates with her. Wow. And it, it resonates for two reasons. She knows the Jews don't all have it down, and she knows they don't. But she's starting to think about religion now and going, this thing I believe isn't working. It isn't working for me. It's not working for us as Samaritans. This religion thing isn't working for the Jews. I know the Christ, whatever, she, whatever shady her knowledge was, or you know, hazy her knowledge was, there's truth that was there. And then Jesus said something to her. The one who made you wants you. He wants, he's seeking you. And, and most of us have this, this you know, upside down idea that we're seeking after God. And, and we really don't. We are seeking after something, but we're seeking after it almost always on our own terms. We want to be God, like, like Steve Babin said a couple of weeks ago when he got baptized. He said, I was playing God all year after year after year. That's what we're doing. And, and when we say we're seeking God, we're seeking God on our own terms. And this woman had approached God that way. And then God in the flesh stood in front of her and exposed her need and says, you got a choice. You can keep coming to this well using that water jar. And he, and he wasn't mean the physical well. He was meaning the well that represented man after man after man and empty religion. Or you can come to me and you can have this well of water inside you. In other words, a spring is better than that well. I've got a spring. I've got something that's better than, than the empty relationships you have that don't satisfy you and the empty religion that you have that doesn't satisfy you. And she had a choice at that moment. She had to decide, do I want to keep coming back to the well and go, to, go for husband seven or go home and press this guy? I know what it is. I just need to marry him. I'll make an honest man out of him. You know, I'll tell him, I'm not having sex with you until I get a ring, buddy. Yeah, that's not going to work. He's just going to look at her and go, yeah, hey, there's 20 other women in our village better than you. You know, you better retract that or you can pack your bags and go. I think she knew this is a dry well. This guy is a dry well. My religion's a dry well. Whoever this guy is, he seems to be this person. And it says she left her water jar. You see that? This is, this is the pivot point that everybody has to come to. Jesus says you got a well or you can have a spring of water. And if you have a spring, you don't need what she had to, to, to draw out of the well. The water comes to you. And he says the water's inside you. That's what a picture of a spring is. There's no effort. The water just bubbles up. It's a gift. It's grace. It's all of a sudden God who you're searching for. Where is God? Is he in a man? Is he in religion? Is he in whatever? Is he in, will I get this satisfaction that my heart's longing for if I get a certain kind of cosmetic surgery? Is God in that? And you get it and you find out it's not. All of a sudden he says, God is right here standing in front of you in this shape that you never expected him to be in. And if you leave your jar and follow him, you'll have a spring of water. I, th I think she went, let me think about that for a minute. Okay. 
boom. And then she left, and then she had, at this point, she became what most Christians aren't. Right from the get-go, she became a follower of Jesus who's trying to make other followers of Jesus. She immediately went back and told everybody. She didn't care what they thought anymore because she had something real. It didn't matter what they thought anymore. She avoided them before. Now she's seeking them out because she had the spring of water. This is the mission. So, when, so Jesus shows that the mission is how do you help people get home? Getting home is, is a metaphor for finding the satisfaction that eludes you, filling the emptiness that nothing can fill. Jesus met a woman who had that emptiness, and he offered a way to it through him. He said, follow me. Leave that old way of life, that empty way of life, and follow me. Now, do you think she had some sorting out to do? When she went back home and and told the guy she's living with, you know, we're going to have to adjust our arrangement here. I've been depending on you in a way, and I think there was a long conversation that happened, but she was so excited because something happened. When you believe in Jesus, Jesus says later in the book of John, you'll experience the Holy Spirit coming. God suddenly becomes real to you. That this Jesus on a page becomes alive in you, that he's here, he's here, he's there, he's everywhere, he's in me. There's a spring in me. doesn't mean you sort, you've sorted out everything in your life from that moment on, and it's all easy. It's just all downhill. It's not like that. But you've got this spring of water that you didn't have when you faced those challenges. So she did what the disciples didn't do. As they went down the village, towards the village to get food, they passed her coming up. To, and Jesus talked to her. When they left... But when she left, nobody went over and said, let me just find out. Let me ask her what Jesus was talking to her about. Maybe she didn't, maybe Jesus was just talking to her about, you know, the weather or something. But I want her to know about Jesus. Nobody did that. These were the apostles. They went into town. They didn't tell anybody. Because the people would have followed them back to Jesus. This is the way most of us live, unfortunately. And Jesus said to them, when they... When they gave him food, he said, thank you, but I've already had a meal. And they go, who gave him the food? And he said, my food is to do the will of him, to join him in his mission. The father is seeking after this woman, and I just joined him. Because he said, the father is seeking worshipers. He recognized this woman was beloved of God. She didn't think she was beloved of God. People certainly didn't think she was beloved of God, but the way that Jesus engaged her gave her some hope that maybe that wasn't the whole story. But none of the disciples did that, did they? That's the way, unfortunately, the church largely still is. And the church that Jesus is building is a a group of people who say, I'm going to embrace the mission of God. I'm going to care about those people who have this empty place in their lives and they don't have an answer. And and I watch them foolishly just keep buying the new cars, keep trying to get a bigger house, keep keep trying to find whatever our our society, our culture tells them will fill that hole. Whatever is the newest thing. They just get into it. Some people think, you know, there's some people who have enough means who go, 
there are people who are making spaceships. We will one day, if you have enough money, be able to ride in a spaceship. There's only a few astronauts have done that. But this will be something that the rich and the powerful can have. And what a cool thing to be able to look at the earth and have perspective. And to get back down there again, and has it changed anything? But for a while, it's something you chase. Have you chased anything like that? Here's the thing. The reason why we don't get involved in the mission of God, Jesus touched on it when he said this to them. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four months and then the harvest? And he says, don't say that. I tell you the truth, look up, the fields are white right now. They couldn't see that this woman was in desperate need. They just saw she's a Samaritan woman. She's a mess. She's always going to be a mess. Nothing I'm going to do is going to change that. I'm just going to keep binge watching Game of Thrones. I'm not going to let her into my life. Jesus obligated himself to her when he asked her to do something for him. He made himself vulnerable. We're supposed to make friends with people who aren't friends of Jesus and be real friends with them and and let ourselves be inconvenienced because we care about them and not just to witness to them, but to witness to them by being their friend and loving them and caring about them. And at some point, you're going to, as you know, with most of your friends, you're going to start talking about the real stuff in your life because you get close enough to where people want to talk about that. Because they can't handle it on their own. And they wonder, you know, how's it working for you? And then you start having those conversations. But so many of us are so stinking selfish, just to be honest. We just don't have time for those people. Or if we'll hang around them, we don't want to get into this. Because, you know, I don't know. We're awkward with that. And we don't see the desperation in our lives. We see the holes in their lives. And sometimes we, we go... Oh my gosh, we roll our eyes at the crazy things they do. Like, oh yeah, I'm a lot better than them. You know, I've never done anything crazy and embarrassing like that. I have, we all have. So Jesus, he exposes in this little, this little moment here where he says, four, don't say four months and then a harvest. They're basically saying, somebody else will do it. Or I'm not fit for it. Or I don't care about it. And Jesus nails them when he says that, and in a loving way. Because you don't, I don't hear this judgmental tone in Jesus' voice. But I, here's a couple of reasons why I think if you're, if you're here and you're not very engaged in the mission, there's lots of reasons why we don't. But I think, I think the primary reason for, for many of us is we keep returning to our water jars. We keep going back to our water jar, our water jars. And some of us, our water jar is just mindless entertainment where we just numb ourselves for hours and hours doing things that they're not bad in themselves. But it's like, I like salt on my food. and I like more than most people do. But I'll tell you one thing, even I have a limit for salt. I had, I had a meal the other day, and after I had it, I went up to the, and I hardly ever complain about stuff like this. I went up to the cash register and paid, and I said, listen, you know, I finished my meal, but I want to tell you something. You guys, that gravy has like a, like a salt block in it. And I'm going to encourage you. I come here because I like your food, 
But if, you, if your food's that salty a whole lot longer, I'm not going to keep coming here. And I'm sure you want to know that, that your food's not, not as uh, tasty as you think it is. And, and he, the guy at the register said, oh, I'll, I'll tell my manager. Thank you so much for that. We have to stop going to our old jars. We have to stop numbing ourselves. We have to stop being so selfish. We have to stop depending on things that we used to depend on and thinking, yeah, I have Jesus and that. And where Jesus doesn't give me what I need, I can lean on that. I don't think a lot of times you realize you're doing that. But that's what we're doing. There's this tipping point where you enjoy something. Like Paul says to Timothy, he says, tell people to be great. People who have more than they need, he says, tell them to be grateful to God that they can enjoy it, but not to trust in it. Do you trust in stuff? I'm going to tell you, I do. I'm not, if I point my finger at you, I want you to know, I know I'm pointing three fingers back at me. And that's not a cliche. I know I struggle with this. You do too. But you got to stop and say, I'm not engaging the heart of God for people that God cares about because I'm so stuck playing online games for hours and hours and hours. Or I garden all the time, and I have time for people. Whatever it could be, and it could be bad stuff that keeps you, your jars. A lot of times, we don't believe we're competent. The disciples didn't. They didn't believe they were competent. I think they were saying, man, somebody, four months, and somebody else will take care of it. It was a, sort of a, 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 a sense of procrastination in their perspective that Jesus was challenging. He says, I'm going to make you competent. Because here's the thing. When he called Peter and John, Peter and Andrew and James and John, he said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And a lot of us just don't realize that if you're a follower of Jesus, there's another side of the coin. You're supposed to be fishers of people too. And, and those, those four men who were fishermen had no idea how to do whatever Jesus was talking about. They, I'm not sure they even understood what it was. But he said, that's my job. I'll make you a fisher people. And I want to to ask you, we can show you how to to join God in his mission. You and your life, where you live, work, learn, and play. We can show you how to care about those people that God cares about there. If you're willing. If you're willing. And I'm not trying to necessarily make you feel guilty. But I want to awaken you to the fact that just like this woman learned, when she let go of her jar, her life started. And Jesus said, I I walked up to this well tired, thirsty, and hungry. And when you left, that's what I was like. Now, I feel like I've just had a buffet, a long night's sleep, and I've guzzled a gallon of cold water. He said, I'm ready to rock. And so many of us, our lives are so boring and uh, we, we feel like we don't have a purpose and we lack significance. We're not challenged. You start getting involved in God's mission and you'll get the payoff Jesus described there. But you have to leave your water jars just like the woman does. And I, I'm going to leave it up to you to decide what those are. I think I painted the picture that they could be anything. But you're not, if you don't walk away from here today being willing to say, I want God to help me get there. And maybe 
If you're honest with yourself right now, you will say, and we're going to pray in a second here, maybe we're, if we're honest with ourselves, we will say, I don't really want to do that, John. I mean, admit that to yourself. If what I'm saying, you just don't want to do, say that to yourself. Say it to somebody else if you want, if you're courageous enough. We should be able to come out of the closet and, and be what we really are, but allow it to be challenged when it needs to be challenged. Because there's a reason if you're not engaged in God's mission. There is a reason why you're not doing it. Do you understand that? If that didn't occur to you yet, there's some reason. And I just, uh, there is so much life waiting for you. Like Maggie would tell you, because I remember when, when, when her and when people from our fellowship went down to Katrina, let's just say, and they would come back. They were, they were tired, but they were inspired. When you give, it's given back to you. That is the way life works. But our world says you need to focus on taking and getting. And you do need to get so you can give. But the mission is where this life you've been looking for is at. And I think we're in a season in our church, because I'm hearing people tell me this, that I've been trying to train and equip in this area. They are telling me, this is crazy life-giving as I lean into this. That when I start joining God in his mission, it's changing me in surprising ways. And I want to invite you today to, to, before God, you may say, God, I really want to do, I've been wanting to do this. I think I've just been distracted. Help me to, 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 to join your mission. Show me what I'm supposed to be doing. Or if you're going, I need, like, I don't feel confident. I want to ask you before you leave today to take one of the cards, the, the V-mail cards in the back, and say, I'm willing to invest some time in learning how to do this, John, how to get involved in God's mission where I live, work, play, and learn, if, if, if someone will help me. Fill it out, drop that in the box on the way out the door, and we will get in touch with you. And for those of you that feel like, to be honest with you, when I search my heart, I don't really want to do this, you know? I mean, and you may, you may go, I come to church every week, isn't that enough? You know, I give money here, I serve here, isn't that enough? I'm going to go, I'm not going to tell you the answer to that, but I honestly want you to ask Jesus, yourself, is that enough? If he tells you it's enough, I'm cool. But you need to ask him. You should be asking him about all kinds of things. This is a good thing. There are times you need to rest in your life. There are times you need a break. But some of us, you know, we're like in the, the, the 57th year of Jubilee, right? We're, we're resting. We've been resting a long time. And you're missing things that you really are hungry for. And so, and in some ways, this is why people leave the faith too because they think it's not paying off the way I thought it was and it's not because we're not joining God in this mission so would you stand with me for a second and pray we'll revisit this as we talk about this you know what's 
what's going on in our country right now is, if you haven't picked up on it, it's this all-hands-on-deck kind of moment. Get that? Does it feel like that to you, too? Like, these boxes? <laughs> this is a symbol. This is going to go on for years. We don't even know what Irma's going to do in Florida. There's another hurricane in the Atlantic behind that. Do you know that? I don't know if anybody's even caught that in the news. But Irma and Harvey and whatever else might come are metaphors for the... We have hurricanes swirling through our nation, wrecking people's lives. And the Father is seeking to help them and care for them, help them put their lives back together. And we're supposed to be part of it. And so this little thing we do of putting some items in a box and having it sent is, is not graduate school and God's mission. You know, it's like, this is like entry-level position in the kingdom. The main job we have is joining him in his mission. So I just want you to close your eyes for a second and ask the Lord that question I ask you to ask. Lord, Jesus, do you want me to be in your mission? And if you're kind of bold about it, tell him if you really want to be or not. Just take a second and do that.